Hi, I'm Pavel Pogoszelski, cinematographer of Nobody, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today's guest is Pavel Pogorzelski, director of photography for the new Bob Odenkirk film, Nobody. Pavel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we had you last on talking about, about Midsommar and Hereditary, and this is just such a departure from those films, and I cannot wait to get into all the details with you. But before we do, I just want to mention our sponsor for this episode, MZ Education for Creatives. And of course, follow us on your favorite podcast app, search Go Creative Show anywhere and you will find us. And of course, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, especially YouTube, because we put a lot of exclusive content on YouTube as well. And all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. So you must have had such a great time working with Bob Odenkirk on this film. He just seems like an absolute blast to work with. What, what's he like? He's, he's great. I mean, he came in so focused, so uh, quiet and determined. Um, it was great. It was, uh, I don't know, he, there was like a, I didn't expect that from watching Better Call Saul or, you know, uh, Breaking Bad or even like his comedy sketch shows. Yeah. He was just like a different person and he jacked up and built and he uh, trained for, uh, I hear, two years prior to the movie to, to oh, get wow. like, uh, you know, physically ready, but also like, you know, the fight, he never fought before. So all the fighting scenes got trained uh, and, you know, learning how to shoot guns properly. So, yeah, he came in and there was just this like focus on him. I think I think there's part you know because he's never been an an action guy before, so I think he he wanted to take it very seriously, and you saw it in in him, and that was really cool. It was intimidating a little bit. <laughs> well, I think like when when you're doing something that you haven't done before, I think it, you're just naturally going to be focusing more on it. Like you really want to nail it. So it, it must have been fun for him to try on this action hero kind of character and. And for you too. I mean, it, was this your first um, experience doing uh, an action film? It, it, yes, it was. Yeah, I, I have never shot an action movie, so it was very scary and daunting for me. Yeah. What were you most afraid of jumping into it? I think it was the uh, the action sequences. Whereas you know, um, David Leach was on it and Greg Romanter. David Leach was a producer on it, but he did the, the first John Wick and Hobbs mm -hmm. and Shaw and Atomic Blonde, which were like amazing action sequences. Uh, and Greg Romanter, uh, who did a lot of Marvel movies uh, and also worked with David Leach, uh, did um, uh, 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 the stunt coordinator on that uh, so it was just intimidating to work with those people, but then it very easily just became a, a collaboration. So how how are you position, positioning yourself as a cinematographer when you're when you don't have action on your reel, and they obviously want to work with you because you do great work. But if you if you don't have films in that genre, how do you sort of get to the front of the line? How do you get their attention? How do you get them to trust you that you can actually get this done? Um. No idea how uh, we had a we had a talk <laughs> on Zoom. I was I was I think finishing a movie in New Orleans, and uh, and then the on Zoom uh, met with Ilya, just with Ilya. I think there was the any producers, yeah, the director, and we had a great talk. And I was a little bit apprehensive about shooting it an action movie. I never, I didn't really think I'd want to shoot an action movie, but then Why? when we, I don't know. I, I just didn't think I could, mm. uh, shoot or that I'd get excited about shooting an action movie. Um, like as in like being challenging or the challenges of shooting an action movie. And then when I spoke with Ilya, his energy and, you know, he's referencing like North Korea, uh, uh, Korean movies, like action Korean movies. And I was like, wow, that sounds really exciting. And there was like a freedom to be creative 
on, on our end. So I was like, this sounds like a really great opportunity to dive into something that I didn't expect to do. Yeah. I can see, I can see being a little bit afraid if it's something you haven't done before, but you know, it, it seems like it was something that the director hadn't necessarily done before either. I mean, this is a, this is a fairly young new director with not a huge roster of films under his belt. So I think it was maybe a little bit of blind leading the blind and seeing what, uh, what, what could good, what good could come out of that. Yeah. I think he's done a lot of music videos and, uh, you know, Hardcore Henry, which was an action film, but first person, but action. Yeah. And so he's done quite a bit of, and a lot of his music videos are very like actiony, uh, action oriented. Um, so he had more experience than myself in action, uh, which was great. And they just liked my, my visual style, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I still don't know how and why I got hired, <laughs> but I'm excited I did. I'm happy. Well, we're I glad did. you did. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think the film is better for it. Um, now for those of you guys that don't know, the movie's called nobody. It, it, a quick synopsis is a middle-aged suburban drone who's played by, um, Bob Odenkirk. His life is bland. It's the same thing every single day. At the very beginning, we sort of can relate to this humdrum, you know, cycle of life. Everything's the same every day. Um, but he finds his inner badass after a home invasion. And throughout the film, we learned that previous to this, he had a whole different life where he really was this badass. And uh, that home invasion kind of unlocked uh, something inside of him that he kind of hid away. And as an audience member, we're learning about him as we go. But it begins with him very much like how we've seen him before. A little clumsy, a little silly, very empathetic, somebody that you just almost feel sorry for. But then that quickly changes. How does the cinematography follow that path along where we have one opinion of him at the beginning and then it changes over time? Do you make any, do you make any changes in the cinematography to reflect that? Uh, yes, we did. We we uh, we had a lot of talks with the director about uh, and the production designer about that about like adding more colors as we progress, uh, as, uh, colors and movement. You know, there is a bit more static uh, in the beginning, uh, yeah. and then you know it becomes a bit more uh, the camera and the lighting and the colors become more lively. Uh, in the second act and in the third act, it's just like, we were like, let's go operatic and like full colors, full, you know, full, let's go fun with it. Was there a palette you were playing with for the colors? There was a, a palette that was a, a lot cooler at the beginning. And then we wanted to add more warmth and more, uh, more color contrast as the movie progresses. What so do you think that says yeah. about, yeah, what does that say about that character, in your opinion? I think, you know, just like uh, calming the cinematography, you know, with the color contrast, less color contrast and less camera movement would just, I think, also naturally just calm the audience when you're mm -hmm. watching it. You're just more, uh, your senses, your senses aren't as excited because everything is just a bit more calm. So you, you're able to, you know, really feel what the character is going through. And then as his journey progresses, we excite the senses more, the visual senses. Yeah, that, and that's a good point. It wasn't even something I pick, I was picking up on while I was watching it. But you're right. You do. You are as a viewer, kind of lulled into this calm. And this sort of relatable lifestyle that he has for some, maybe not all people, but that idea of, you know, kind of going through your day, not necessarily having tons of stimuli, just kind of going through the motions. I think the color palette did help for that. It, 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 it did. It kept you calm. It kept you attentive in a way, but also calm. I, that's interesting. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of like we also tested that you know, uh, the looks and the, 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 uh, in prep, uh, to see how we liked it. And yeah, I think it worked out pretty well. I'm glad you brought up prep because I want to talk about the way you prep a movie like this versus, you know, some of your other work, Hereditary, Midsommar. There has to be something unique and different about how you prep 
action films. Um, talk to me about your process. Well, I think it was pretty much the same in terms of, um, you know, finding the camera and lenses. Um, it was very similar where I, I always just uh, test all the all the lenses, all the cameras that, that are available, uh, you know, the Alexa, Reds, uh, Sony, um, and then uh, we knew we wanted to go with anamorphic, so I tested a lot of anamorphic and a couple of sphericals. Just that when we watch the movie in the in the big screen, the tests, we watch the tests in the big screen. We have some spherical references to like confirm that it's anamorphic that we want to go to. Yeah. So I shoot all that, all those tests, and then we watch that with uh, with the director on the big screen, um, and uh, then we choose a look. The difference here was, you know, in the prep was there's all the stunt, uh, all the stunts, all the action scenes. Yeah. There was a lot of scouting. There was a lot of talks. There's a, you know, uh, we had them develop uh, guns that would have uh, LEDs inside for when they would fire. They would give out mm-hmm. a light because we wanted, uh, you know, when the bad guy, there's a second house invasion. We wanted the and we wanted to light it very dark because it turns off the lights. Uh, so we really wanted the flares to do a lot of lighting, practical lighting. So they developed an LED that would be inside to give out uh, flares. So that took a little while to develop, and they did a great job with that. So there's like things like that that you have to like. Okay, how do we do that? Oh, let's ask you know props to develop this. Okay, and now yeah. this scene. So. There's a lot of different things that that you have to think about uh, shooting that, like a car chase scene at night in the city. I've never done that before. So I took the camera out with my gaffer in prep uh, and the lenses and just shot, you know, okay, 360, what's dark? What's, you know, what's enough light with available light? How does it look? What do I need to put condors? And the car chase scene being like, okay, like, I think we need something over there, over there. So it was a uh, very interesting that way that I've never done before, just having to prep those big scenes. I imagine you have to really storyboard these scenes, pretty, yes, pretty strictly. Um, are you aside from these action scenes? Are you kind of a a storyboard type of guy? Is that is that your typical way of of preparing? I go with whatever the director likes to do. Yeah, uh, usually and. Um, shot listing, sometimes storyboarding, uh, definitely like whenever there's an action scene or something that is a bit more complicated and a lot of departments need to know exactly how what we're seeing, uh, then it's great to have storyboards that everyone is clear, like, oh, this is, we're not seeing this or we are seeing this, uh, just so that, you know, when they read the script, they can like imagine it could be shot so many different ways. So yeah. it's important to to give that information to all the departments of how what's it, what's going to be in frame, where they can put wires or what where they can have smoke or whatever off to the side of the camera. So uh, they're very helpful. On this movie, we actually storyboarded the whole movie. Mm. Yeah. No, even even just small dialogue scenes. Just small. Yeah, we had the whole movie storyboarded to see a kind of progression of how the visual language would evolve. I feel like if I was working on a long piece like that, because most of my stuff is commercial work, um, small form, short things. I think if I was working on something, you know, feature length, I would want a storyboard just so that I can like always reference back to the way things, you know, always reference back to like, what does it look like at the beginning? How is it supposed to look at the end? Like just to keep on track. feels like that would be I think me, if I was directing that, I would probably insist on it, but I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't even storyboard that much for commercial work. I'm not sure. Yeah. Some directors don't want to do any of that. And some of them like to come into a, to a scene and let the actors block it. And then you figure out where to put the cameras, um, which is also interesting. But on this one, on nobody, we, I think we storyboarded a lot. And I think we stuck to it maybe like 80% of the time. Wow, that's a lot. It's a lot. And, uh, you know, it was just 
we did quite a bit of work on the storyboards and we're very happy with them. So yeah, which is most of the time they just work. Now the go creative show audience, like I mentioned before we started, I mean, we've got a lot of people that are actively working in the industry. We also have a lot of enthusiasts that are trying to get into this industry. And I know this is your first kind of full action film. What would you say are maybe one or two of the the big lessons that you learned, maybe even mistakes that you made along the way shooting action films that really struck you, taught you a lesson and that will help you for your next one? Not a lesson that I've learned because I came in with that attitude. It was a, a huge and daunting movie. And I remember in the first day, the director was like, man, how are we going to do this? And, it's never uh, what you want to hear on the first day. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I felt the same way. I'm like, how are we going to do this? And I just said, like, you know what? We'll just take it one shot at a time, you know, one day at a time, and just get it in the can. Let's get this shot, move on. Get this shot, move on. And it just simplified things where it's like, oh, okay, let's just take it. If you look at the whole, like, we have to get this whole movie done. It's like, oh, it's, it's a lot of stuff to to get but yeah. if you just go like yeah we have this one day and in this one day we have like these few scenes to get then it's like oh this is manageable and we just do it shot by shot and like let's get this shot okay great now let's move on and let's get this shot and that felt that it relaxed us and being like, okay let's just we'll just you know we'll do it step by step and i think uh, um in prep the stunt coordinators are gonna shoot the action scene uh, and then with the director, you go in and you tell them how you want it to be redone and they redo oh, it. So, and so it's a, I, I, I want to make sure you understand. So the, so the stunt team actually shoots it for themselves. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Oh, okay. The, I didn't know that. So, so it's a huge process where they will shoot the whole action scene on a, in, on a stage or wherever they're rehearsing, uh, just with the stunt people. For uh, full on just stunt people, like let's say in the bus, they would put like pads to make it look like a bus, and they would show us what they have in their mind for the stunt scene, for uh -huh. the action scene, and then we go in and be like, no, we actually always imagine it to be more like this, and this is too much, and this is so. Then they'll reshoot it and reshoot it, uh, and then they'll reshoot it again with the actor once the actor comes in and start showing him. So by the time we get to shoot it, we've massaged that scene quite a lot. Uh, and I think what was great was David Leach is just come and tweak little like, okay, let's move the camera just a hair over here and it will sell that hit a bit more. Let's just do a little push in or like a quick little pullback or stay static on this one. Just let it, let the, the and it was just these little things that, you know, like, uh, cause we were handheld and he was like, now you just stay here and don't move. You'll see like you can, the, 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 the punch will sell more. Like it'll be more violent. Uh, mm. So it was those little tiny, cause we all know what we're doing at that point. And it's just those little tweaks that he was able to do that were like, wow, like, it's really great. Like, move the camera four inches this way. I had no idea that stunts went so far as to film it themselves. I mean, I'm sure that they obviously need a, a reference to it. But uh, I was thinking it was just a couple of angles, you know, maybe just like a wide shot of showing the stage and, and the action. Yeah, they shoot it the way... You you know, they, they'd want to shoot it. They're like, oh, here's the way we'd want to shoot it. And then you come in and be like, okay, but this doesn't work with the movie. This is how we think it should be done. And then you start doing it again and again and again until you find the right way of shooting it. Yeah. And then we have this kind of shot storyboard for the action scene. Yeah. So you were you not involved in those kind of early rehearsals? Like, when do you step in? As soon as they had the first cut of okay. it. Okay. And then we step in with the director and it, it's actually the director wasn't even there. It's He gives them some notes and they go at it. And they show us, at least it was like this for us. I don't know how other movies do it, but for That's us. That's crazy. I, I yeah, had no idea. They sh but I, I, had, I had no idea also how they do it. I was like, okay, cool. This is, this is how we'll do it, I guess. And it was really awesome because you kind of you know, it was great because I was like, oh, I can focus on 
the drama of the story and that's what I'm good at. And these guys will like come up with ideas and then we'll just massage it with them. It's what we think it should be. That must've been such a weight off your shoulders. Cause you probably thought like I would, that you'd be responsible for everything from the very beginning and, and kind of working with them in the very early stages. You must've been like, Oh, thank God. There's going to be yeah. a little bit of a, a reference that I can use. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ex yes. I was very, very relieved when that, when that happened uh, and very happy because it's like so like, oh, my God, these guys are so good at this uh, and they make your life so easy. And then and then you just come in and be like, OK, let's just, you know, let's just get an insert or like a close up of this or like let's move the camera a bit more here. Uh, it, it's just like such a collaboration. And it was so great because everyone was so professional and zero egos and everyone was like, this is what we think. What do you think? And. We all like, oh, I'd like to see this. And it would it would be crazy if we did something like this. And the director would have ideas like, I really saw this scene and I, I wanted this action. And so they had to figure out how to in, add this beat into the action scene. And it was just a wonderful collaboration of ideas coming in and, you know, just slowly growing. And it, it is a process of, it is like a process to get each beat. Like or the car chase, like you first start with little toys on the, on on a little you know cardboard, and you, this is how the action scene should go, and then yeah. you know you do kind of do a, a, a animatic of it, and then and then you only shoot it once you know you figured it all out. Like that car chase must have that just seems so hard filming car chases. It's just it takes up so much space. Like doing a fight scene in the bus must have been challenging no matter what, because you're in such a small confined area. You don't have a lot of spots for the camera to go. Um, uh, well, well, I guess let me ask you, I mean, what between having a fight scene in a small contained area like a bus or a car chase that kind of spans across multiple streets and blocks, what is the most challenging? Car scene. Really? Yeah. The, the Why? Multiple. It's just a... Uh, you know, the logistics of it and getting the bits and pieces. And one bit is like on a process trailer. The other bit is like camera rigged onto a car with a stunt driver. This other bit is like on a stage. It's like all these, like you get these little bits and pieces and there's like, oh, then there's like second unit coming in to clean it up and like get those little extra bits that you couldn't get. And those actors are not involved. So this overhead shot or this action where their car flips, like that'll be second unit that does that. Uh, and then you want to make sure that they replicate what you've done. It's just so many pieces. It's so to make sure that you haven't missed one because you're not always around uh, to get everything. It's like, just your mind is like, oh, and yeah. then like, you know, like, okay, I need condors over there. I need a technocrane for this. I need like, I need, this car mount, that car mount. It's like, did I order everything? Does everyone know what was in my head for this? Whereas like in the best, like it is very difficult because it's all, you know, in one spot. Uh, but it is like one spot, one or two operators. Uh, and that's it. It's, you know, it's, you know, you have the gear. Like, and if you're missing something, it's in the truck. It's not like a special gear you need to order, whereas yeah. the big car chase scene, like, oh, yeah, okay, make sure that, you know, this, uh, this like, what is that, uh, ultimate arm is ordered for the right day and is, is here. So you, there's all What is the ultimate you, arm? It's like a, a car with a, with a crane on top that's a remote controlled, or the Russian arm, they call it also. Oh, okay, okay. So it, it's... The crane is on the car, and is that that's what you mean? The crane is on the car, and it's remote controlled from an operator okay. who operates the crane and from inside, and another operator who operates the camera from inside. So, is the is the camera filming into the car, or are you just using the car as a means to travel the crane around? Exactly. Okay. So you can travel it at high speeds and follow cars and stuff like that. So, so all these bits and pieces that you have to like, you know, figure out is like. <laughs> yeah, it sounds so stressful. I'm getting like hot and stressed as I'm talking to you about this. It just seems like so much, so many, so many possibilities for error. 
so many possibilities for error. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like, you know, safety. It's like, is this the best way to do it? Is there a better way to do it? Like, that's more safe. And it's just going over and over. Like, there was this one scene where we had the bad guy go into the car, but in the middle of the street while other cars zoom by. Uh, and we had the technocrane pickle out from the sidewalk into the traffic. Obviously, all the traffic was stunt drivers. But, like, we had to measure it, like, would the technocrane be high enough that the cars passing underneath wouldn't destroy it? And then what was it? You know, the the actor had to walk as if he didn't care about the cars zooming by him. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of talks about, you know, doing that scene and it being safe and it being winter in, in, in Winnipeg where we shot. We're like, okay, well, if there's dry ice, we can't shoot that way. So what do we do? And what's the plan B? And then the you know producers are like, well, we're getting this technocrane for this. It's a lot of money. What if we don't do it? How do we count? It's just like all mm. this like, is there a better the way la- to do it? That's the last cheaper, thing so. you want to worry about is is the budget when you're in the middle of something like that. Yeah, but you always have to because you have to be, you have to stay on budget. Uh, you know, you have to be responsible and yeah. But uh, did you? Did you guys stay on budget on time? Did you have did. to go over it all? Uh, I don't think so. I think we did pretty good. Yeah, I think we stayed on budget and on we we shot on time. There's a few days where we went a bit over, uh, but I think we did pretty good getting everything. Yeah. Let's take a quick moment and talk about MZ, the sponsor of this episode. Now, MZ is education for creatives, and that is perfect for the Go Creative Show audience. And there are hundreds of hours of high-quality video-based filmmaking education on the site covering all sorts of things like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. Just like exactly what we here at Go Creative Show want to know more about. But the most important thing is certainly the courses, yes. But even more important are the teachers, the trainers, the people that are giving you the information. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I, I... learn through video much better than I do through reading. So watching videos can certainly help me learn things. Um, And I love video-based education, but it's all about the teacher. It really is. Are they engaging? Are they interesting? And that is what you get at MZ. I'm talking about teachers like Vincent LaFerre and Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom, Tom Cross, the editor of La La Land and Whiplash, does a course called The Art and Technique of Film Editing. So we're talking about really great education, taught by fantastic educators. That is exactly what we want. And that's what MZ offers. Now, yes, you can buy individual courses, and that's a great way to experience MZ. But what I recommend is you do what I do and become an MZ Pro member. Uh, When you're a pro member, you get access to everything. It's like the Netflix of filmmaking education. And it's all there at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. Now, remember, you get 20% off by using promo code GCS20. GCS20, get 20% off of your purchase. And again, it's at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. MZ, education for creatives. There's one scene near the end of the film, I think it's in the final battle scene, where there's a gun kind of floating through space, and it's sort of like, it's like stuck in the center of the frame, yeah, And it, it, the gun is sort of like, it doesn't, it's almost like, um, I don't know how to explain it, but the gun is stuck in the center of the frame and the camera's moving with the gun and, and the gun doesn't move at all. And then it's, it's grabbed by somebody and there's a lot going on with this gun. It's, it's a really cool scene. And I hope that we're able to show some clips of it as we're talking. Um, I, I'd love to know from you how that was achieved. Oftentimes these things that look so amazing on camera, are like these simple little tricks that you would never think about. Oh my um, God, it's so simple. It's crazy. That's what I mean. I'm like, there's got to be something simple about this. <laughs> what did you do? It, it, it's funny, like, because uh, that, that was the director's idea for that shot. He's like, oh, I want this shot he had in his mind. And I'm like, okay, cool. And, uh, I, you know, there's like, I, my mind went to like, this is a simple way of doing it. And, and what if we have it, attached to a three-axis head. Uh, and then we just have it on the jib arm and throw the jib, you know, make the, the jib arm go like this and move the head around. 
And so it looks like it's rotating. And then we have a final point where it needs to land and the actor comes in and grabs it. Uh, and I think they, in the end, when we shot it, it was much simpler. It was on the dolly and the dolly just boomed up and down. Uh, and there was like a little rod that connected the gun to the camera that was then erased. And that's, you know, that's it. Like, <laughs> I love that. It's always simple little things that yeah. can give you such a unique look. I, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, you have to like, it's, and, and what's great is like to try to achieve a lot in camera and not, not rely on, on visual effects was so great. You know, like we were like, no, we're going to get this shot on camera. We don't want it to be a VFX shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I think and it's awesome. great. Yeah. People were like, huh, what are you trying to do? Like, he's like, don't worry. We, we got this. We, we yeah. got it. We got it handled. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the look of the film. We talked a little bit about, you know, the color palettes and the way that the light may change over time. But I want to focus on the look of nobody. And let's start with the camera package. I know you've done some ex extensive testing. You had mentioned that earlier in the show. What camera did you end up with? And also the lenses that you paired with it. We shot on uh, the red helium and uh, the hot V lights. Hmm. For anamorphic. Yeah. For anamorphic, yeah. Yeah. And... We uh, we tested the Alexa, Alexa Lefts, yeah, like I said, all the cameras. And I know the director really was like, I love Ari, let's shoot an Ari. I'm like, let's just watch, let's just see, like... Uh, and then when we watched the, the, the tests on the big screen, the, the Helium pushed to, like, 1280 ISO, gave us something that was like, whoa, that's, like, what we had in our minds. Like, there's a greediness to it already without any film grain added there's like a greediness to the image or a certain oomph to it that we're like that's what we that's what we imagined so we're like okay that's what we're gonna go with and you shot at that 1280 1280 iso yeah the whole movie at 12 a earlier yeah 1280 iso but we created a very heavy light uh that was again very very dark uh to emulate a filmic look with the blacks were dense and rich. Yeah. Um, so I had to still with the 1280 ISO, I still had to light it quite a bit and, you know, still needed the condors and big lights outside in the streets because just the available light wasn't enough. Well, what, I mean, were you able to open up your F-stops in situation? I mean, there, there are situations there where the backgrounds are, you know, nice and creamy and soft and everything. That must have been a lighting challenge. Uh, yes, it was. It was <laughs> definitely a challenge. Uh, Did you just rely on the the LUT to kind of bring everything down? The LUT brought everything down, but like there's a lot of night scenes in there, so the, there was a lot of lighting mm. uh, in that necessary. A lot yeah. of yeah. So was, what f-stop were you shooting at for the most part? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it varied, obviously, but with that high ISO, what were you shooting on? So uh, my go-to sweet spot is like 2.8 and 2 thirds, 2.8 and a half. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes the poor ACs had to live with like a 2 or like, <laughs> you know, like almost wide open. Uh, and that was like, for, for them, anamorphic, it's not that simple, but... Uh, they did, they did it great. I just like, oh, I need the light. I have no light here. <laughs> uh, we just ran in here and grabbing this quick shot. Let's shoot wide open. Yeah. <laughs> Why the choice for anamorphic for this? That's a good question. It felt right. Uh, we definitely <laughs> wanted to shoot two four zero. I can't even remember what. It felt like it was always anamorphic in our minds hmm. well there's a bigness that comes with that you know and I, yeah. I think there's a real like kind of cinema look when you have that big wideness i mean that could be part of it you said you tested some sphericals too yeah and we never we saw it on the big screen and like ah oh, that doesn't feel right yeah it's it's you know like it's hard to say a lot of times it's just a feeling like if if you just go i think i just see an image in my head and then of what I want the movie to look like. And it was that, that just felt right to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there are three kind of distinct looks in the film that I saw when I was watching it. You kind of have your, 
You have your Hutch present day, I guess. Um, well, that's not even the right term. You sort of have the the Hutch that is kind of that that you know working guy, sort of every day is the same, sort of uh, downtrodden beginning of the movie Hutch. You have the action hero Hutch later on in the film. But then you also have these moments where you almost are like transported back into this 70s kind of look. And you see that at his office, you see at Hutch's office where it's kind of dark, a lot of wood paneling. You've got the record player there. And then you also find out that he has a similar room in his home. So I'd love to know how you kind of achieved that look and what the significance of it was to kind of get this a little bit of retro 70s feel within the film. That, you know, to, to achieve that look, I think it's a, it's a collaboration with the production designer uh, who was amazing, Roger Fires, who was really, really great. Uh, and the director's vision, of course, uh, getting that. And I think for us, there was, uh, his, it was like his uh, place of peace. And perhaps it wasn't changed from like, you know, the moment when that change happened to, to decide to be just a quiet guy. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so there was like that resonance of his quiet piece. Like in his office, he, he had that in his space. And there's this basement that was his, you know, that was his quiet place. So there was like a little distinction in those spaces that had that resonance for like an older look. And it was warm. It was, and, and I think that makes yes. sense. Like what you're talking about, I think you're right. That was kind of where he left his past life. Like it, yes. it was, that's where he left it. And um, there's a warmth there. There's a comfort the, there yeah, where exactly. the rest of the film has a coldness to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like his little place where he can, like in some way where he can like almost calm himself down, maybe even, you know, uh, yeah. And because and, 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 he talks to his brother on that, and it's like a calming place. Uh, but then it just all explodes <laughs> into madness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the lighting um, techniques in this film. And I'd love to start with just, is there, was there a, you know, particularly challenging scene for you lighting wise? And if so, kind of walk us through how you, how you overcame those challenges. There was a, there was a challenging one, a challenging scene. Okay, so the car chase was definitely challenging uh, for me, but I spoke a, about that a little bit. The other one that was very challenging is this other um, scene where Hutch turns off the lights. There's an invasion in his house, and he turns mm-hmm. off the lights and back, and there's a big fight scene in the house happening. I've watched, we've watched with the director a lot of action movies and we saw some where like it got very dark and it was very hard to follow the action and it was strenuous to the eyes. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, he just turned off all the lights so it needs to be dark. There needs to, but it needs to be a balance where it's not too dark, where it's strenuous to the eyes. So that one was like very hard for me to figure out like how do I make it feel like there is no lighting or it's just ambient light from, you know, when your iris opens up and your eye pupils open up and you yeah. see more in the darkness. So I wanted to have that feeling without ever feeling any sources or, you know, feeling that there's like, it's only maybe lighting coming from outside the streets. Uh, so that was very tricky, but it was just, okay, let's do, you know, one shot at a time, soft, uh, you know, because the house was built on the stage, I had a, a gigantic uh, 20 by 40 overhead instead of ceilings, and I could bounce light into it. So it, it already had this very soft ambience everywhere. And then I could just, you know, accentuate like, oh, let me get more lighting on his face so everything else can fall a bit darker. But there's always information so that we, the audience knows where we are and we're not confused. But it was tricky to figure out that white balance and then to keep that balance from scene to, from shot to shot, you know? It was very tricky. Let me stop you there for just a second. You you mentioned you had the the 
would you say 20 by 40? Is that what you said? Yeah. Above the house? Okay. So you're building the house on the stage. You get the 20 by 40. What, it, it, your, is that like a, a essentially like a large bounce card that you're kind of lighting from the ground? Is that what that is? Or is Correct. that? Yes. Okay. So rather than a light, like an actual light above you, you had yeah. like a, a panel that you lit into from, from the ground and essentially bounced. Yes. Just to have a very soft light ambience everywhere. Just, okay. to, just give me the tiniest little bit of even information. And then I could, from the, you know, on the, on the floor from inside, I could light spots that I really wanted the audience to keep their eye in. But then I could, it wouldn't go pitch black. There would always be something and some information there. Yeah, that's interesting because you really have to, I mean, in, in film, you can't really, you obviously can't have pitch black, but as an audience member watching the movie, there there are assumptions of darkness when you when you watch a film. Like yeah. you can you can I mean you see that with Moonlight. There's so many different approaches to Moonlight in movies. It's it's unbelievable. Um, and so it's it's always interesting to me how people how cinematographers light for what should be pitch black. Um, I mean it's it's an interesting challenge because you kind of have to know what you're looking at, but it can't be too bright. And you're working with such a high ISO as well. So you're sort of, you have a, 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 a very thin needle to kind of stay on. Exactly. And then to keep it consistent is the trickiest part because they can get one shot ready and be like, this is great. But then to keep that consistency, let's move over there now. And to, that's why like, I think the light meter, which I use every day, is still such a great tool. Not mm -hmm. to only rely... On the on the monitors, because the monitors maybe you start getting you know uh, used to the look, and you start going darker and darker and darker because you start feeling that it's too bright. Yeah. Uh, but with your light meter, if you just it's mathematical. If you just like, oh, this was the ambience, and that was the key on that last shot. Let's just do the same thing, or maybe because I don't want it to be as bright, I can choose. To make it darker, but then it's a choice, not you know. Uh, so I use the light meter a lot. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of guests talk about that, really relying on light meters. It's it's encouraging. I like it. I've I've personally never really used one um, for really no no particular reason. Mostly because I don't shoot very much, but um, but also I don't I don't really know how to use it that well. <laughs> so I mean, for me personally, it's not something that I use all the time. If I was working on a on a feature or something and responsible for filming it, I certainly would. But it's cool to see that people are kind of going back to those original tools of filmmaking and employing them once again and not just relying on the monitors because you're right. You can kind of get used to it. Yeah, you can get used to it and then you start changing it, you know, and then start messing with it. Uh, so I, for me, light meter is a simple way of keeping track. Yeah. Uh, I love consistency. that. Consistency. Yeah. Let's break down just kind of a common thing that happens in every film, every movie, always there's every TV show. There's always these moments of just simple dialogue. Mm -hmm. When you know that a scene like that is coming, what are your kind of go-to lights? What What is your go-to lighting plan for just a simple dialogue scene? Um, and, and certainly in Nobody, how are you approaching these scenes? They're so different. Everyone is so different. And a lot of these we did with two cameras, uh, these dialogue scenes, so that the editor could have the reverse, you know, of the, you know, when every take is a bit different and the reaction might be different, so we, and the lines can change. So we, they, we've been shooting a lot. I've been doing that a lot in the other films as well. When there's dialogue scenes, we try to put two cameras, one on each character. Mm. And it's always different. Like, I don't know, uh, these dialogue scenes, depending on the space, my favorite one is towards, you know, when uh, he has this nice conversation with his wife at the, and there's this little window at the sink and we were running behind, and in our shot list, we had like eight shots to get that scene, that little dialogue. And then I was like, I think there's a simpler way of doing it, and just these two angles and a couple of inserts. And it was just beautiful. Like, it all played beautifully. Yeah. And 
don't know, it was just also placing where you place the actors is very important. Like I was like, let's bring him to the sink. There's a window next to the sink and I can use that window to light them from. Uh, and that helps you a lot about where, where you place the actors to light them where the lighting is already there. And then you just augment it. Same thing with like, there's a discussion with the bad guy and we had the big screen behind them. That's like aggressive and nothing, not as much. So it's again, and the the karaoke club you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's very like, you know, it's not like, it's not random. It's they're placed there for reasons. So we can have these elements and they're already lit naturally in a good way. And we just augment it with, with, uh, with some lights, but it's very important about where you place characters for that pause in the movie where two people sit and talk because they're going to be there for a little bit. So what's good, you know, you want to look at what the background is and is it good? What's the lighting like? And you want to look at all these elements. Do you want to shift them a little bit when they sit? Do you want to move the table? Yeah. So that's the biggest keys. Those small scenes, they really shouldn't even be small. We refer to as small because they're just, they carry so much weight in the film. Like the story is told in those scenes. You live longer in those scenes. You're, you're absorbing the set. You're absorbing their faces a lot. There's a lot of demand on making those types of scenes look beautiful. Yeah, correct. Very correct. Exactly. And that's the key, I think, for, for, for anyone who's listening. It's taking the time of really, you know, making sure that where they sit is, is right. Yeah, Cause then I love you, that. If you, yeah, if you start struggling and you fight, start fighting against what's naturally there, then it just becomes a mess. Jaden Lim on Twitter wants to know, what was it like going from Hereditary and Midsommar to an action film? What are your thoughts on that? That's quite a departure. It was quite, it was so much fun. It was just such a different energy to be doing, you know, uh, uh, um, more like art house film with, uh, and then going to something where the energy, you know, of everyone is just like fun because there's going to be explosions and guns and, yeah. Uh, you know, were you into uh, that genre to begin with? Were you, did you like action films? I did growing up. My dad loved action films growing up, so I did watch a lot of... And then I kind of, you know, didn't take him super seriously. And I love Atomic Blonde, and I love... I have fun with John Wick. It's just like, you know, those... Uh, but I think they're, 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 they're fun and... I loved this one because it was really like just, it was just fun. It's just entertainment and it was lighthearted and fun, but it still had like, I think like Bob Odenkirk was able to bring a, a heaviness to it and a nice message. So I had a blast. And you must have you must have had like a, a new appreciation for the genre yes, getting into yeah. it. I mean, now I that you've a, done one, you must yeah. be like, wow, when you see them, you probably watch a movie like Ford vs. Ferrari or something, and now having done car scenes, just be, or Fast and the Furious, something like that, that doesn't necessarily get a lot of critical acclaim, but when yeah. you see it, having done those types of scenes, you probably appreciate things uh, more than you ever have. Oh, yeah. That is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, we got a question here from Kumar. Uh, he wants to know on Instagram, how do you use a fog machine without looking like a student film? There was a, there was actually a lot of fog when uh, in that house invasion, ah, you know because you see the the light sources. Yes, so, some atmosphere in the scene. Yeah, but it's, it, it, the trick is very soft, very, you know, you want to you want to wait for it to dissipate and like not move. So it's a nightmare using fog is a nightmare because uh, you do want to have it at a level and you want it to be constantly pumping very gently, very softly from outside the set. And you want it to be just there as a tiny layer that you don't see, but the camera sees maybe. So yeah, it's tricky. It's very tricky. I talked with um, Dana Gonzalez, the cinematographer for Fargo. And we talked about this a little bit because I was invited to that set Um last year when they were shooting season four with Chris Rock. And I saw with my own eyes the amount of effort 
it took to get this, the fog to look right. Like it was, it was crazy. There was like a team of four or five people fanning things, making sure the consistency made sense from shot to shot. It's so much more challenging than you would think. The reason why they look like and student films like a student film is because it's given to someone random to to do it where it's on a set like this is there's like sfx people and there's like four or five of them and you know that's their job is to just look at the fog or the smoke machine or just the levels need to be just right you know so yeah yeah, yeah. well that that makes sense and we've got a question here from uh, Asher White film on Instagram. What was a new challenge on this film you had not faced before? Car chases. Yeah, it's, it sounds like that's the one for you. It's that's brought the up a few one. Times. Th- yeah, so so much fun, uh, but like, man, what a challenge! It's not easy. Car chases. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, the movie is awesome. It's called Nobody. Um, it's got, it's it's getting a theatrical, but also a streaming release, right? I think so. Yeah, yes. coming out this Friday. It is this Friday, which is what is the date? So let's plug it correctly. Twenty sixth. The twenty sixth, March twenty sixth. So you will be watching this after the film is out because we're coming out a few days after that. So the film is out now, is what we should be saying. Yeah, <laughs> check right. it out for yourself. And of course, um, you got to see more of uh, Pavel's work. It's fantastic. We had you on for Hereditary and Midsommar, and your work is just fantastic on those films and this, and I cannot wait for your next project. Great work on the film, and thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. All right, I want to thank Pavel Porgozelski for coming on the show and talking about Nobody. I loved this film. It's so much fun, and you guys should check it out for yourself. It is available now uh, in theaters and streaming. Check it out. It's called Nobody. Of course, I also want to thank Connor Crosby for producing the show. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com and Dave Siegel from Siegel Sound um, for mixing and mastering and making the show sound so good. You can find him at siegelsound.com. Of course, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, If you're listening to me now, you can see me and our guests on YouTube if you follow our channel. So all of these shows are filmed as well, and we put it right out there on YouTube, as well as exclusive content that you don't get on the episode that you're listening to in your podcast app. So there is some incentive there for going to YouTube and subscribing to us. Of course, you can follow us on all your favorite podcast uh, podcast apps and just search Go Creative Show and you'll find us there and all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. For those of you guys that are interested in behind the scenes work, what I'm doing in my own personal work, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Consoli, B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. I want to thank you for joining us today and we will see you next week on another episode of the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. 